Welcome to the Travel Therapy Mentor Podcast, your number one source for travel therapy information and education, hosted by Travel Physical Therapist Duo, Jared and Whitney. Join us each week on Facebook Live to learn about a new travel therapy topic, or listen to the replay right here on our podcast. If you're new to travel therapy and are ready to get started, contact us to get connected with the travel therapy recruiters and companies we recommend by visiting TravelTherapyMentor.com recruiters. Again, that's TravelTherapyMentor.com recruiters. And if you're looking for the best way to get your CEUs online as a traveler who's always on the go, you can use our discount code to get the best rate on an annual MedBridge subscription, which is where we get all of our CEUs online. You can go to TravelTherapyMentor.com slash MedBridge to see our discount code. Again, that's TravelTherapyMentor.com slash MedBridge. And last, if you're interested in getting started with credit card hacking to take advantage of free or low-cost travel like we do, check out our top credit card recommendations for travelers at TravelTherapyMentor.com slash credit. Again, that's TravelTherapyMentor.com slash credit. All right, and now on to this week's episode. What's up, everyone? Hey, guys. Welcome to another Travel Therapy Mentor video. Tonight, we're doing a Q&A. We put out a post on Instagram and Facebook a few times over the last few days um, asking for questions that you guys have to do a Q&A uh, video, and we got a ton of questions. I think we probably got between 50 and 60. Luckily, some of them are duplicates, so uh, we don't have as many to answer, probably 30 or 40 that we, uh, we have that were original questions. So we'll try to go through those as quickly as we can. Um, and if you guys have any other questions, feel free to ask those in the comments. Um, Whitney's gonna introduce us and I'll get this video shared in a few different groups. All right, everybody, thanks for joining. My name is Whitney Aiken. And I'm Jared Kazaza. And we are both traveling doctors of physical therapy. We are the faces behind Travel Therapy Mentor. Many of you guys may have tuned in in the past. If you are new to our page, welcome and thank you for joining us. Um, and for those of you that have watched in the past, thanks for tuning in tonight again. Um, as many of you guys may know, we do videos every single week on our Travel Therapy Mentor Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram at Travel Therapy Mentor. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where we upload these videos that we do every week to YouTube for those of you guys that would prefer to watch on that platform. And we also upload to our um, podcast the same videos that we do every week just to kind of diversify and give you guys different options to watch and listen to this content on different platforms. So just as a reminder to you guys, um, be sure to subscribe, like, follow, all the different uh, things that they call it on all the different platforms on whichever platform it is that you would prefer to find our content on so that you can continue um, getting weekly content about travel therapy that we bring out every week for you. And hopefully it'll benefit you whether you're getting started with your travel therapy journey or if you're a current travel therapist. So with that said, um, Jared's going to share our video in a couple of groups so that more people can tune in live with us. I hope that those of you guys that asked us all these questions over the last few days on Instagram and Facebook are either going to tune in live or watch later so you'll hear the answer to your question. If you're watching and you have more questions that come up during the video, please feel free to type the questions in the comment section if you're watching on Facebook and we will answer the questions throughout the video. If you're not watching live, if you're watching later, uh, we will go back and look at the comments on the video if you'd like to ask a question there, or you can always feel free to send us a direct message um, on Facebook or Instagram if you have more questions about travel therapy. So thank you guys so much for those that are tuning in live. I see that a few of you are on. So hey, Whitney. Hi, Nick. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Joey. Hey, Armand. Hi, Nick. Uh, other Nick. Hi, Allie. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. 
We would love if you would say hello in the comments and let us know who you are. Um, hi, Erica. Hi, Stephanie. All let right. us know if you are a current travel therapist or if you're someone who's thinking about doing travel therapy. And again, ask any additional questions that you have. We got a lot to get through, so ready? Jared's in a hurry. All right, so I started with um, some of the more basic questions leading into some of the more complicated questions. So we'll cover the basics first. Whitney compiled all these too, so I haven't even looked at some of them, so it'll be interesting. <laughs> Surprise for Jared. Yeah. All right, so um, the basics. So what, somebody asked on Instagram, what is travel therapy and what is the role of a physical therapist in this realm? Because it was completely new to them and they didn't know what travel therapy is. All right, so travel therapy is just short-term contracts. Uh, the role of a travel therapist, the reason that we exist, is to fill needs short-term in uh, various areas. So that could be for things like short-term disability, um, it could be for pregnancy, um, you know, maternity leave at a clinic, it could be for, uh, they're trying to hire a permanent person and they can't get someone um, basically full-time to stay there. So our job is just to come in, work short-term, and fill a need. And a lot of people want to know if travel therapy is like a certain um, setting, like an alternative to home health or an alternative to outpatient or acute care. It's not. It's actually all of those things. So you travel to fill in for a normal therapist at their normal job. So, you know, for us, we live in Virginia, but we might travel to cover for a therapist at a hospital in California or cover for a therapist at an outpatient clinic in Alaska. So we're doing normal therapy jobs in all the normal therapy settings that you can work in. We're just filling in for a position that they don't currently have a permanent therapist working at. Good explanation, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of a little bit about what travel therapy is and what the role of um, us as PTs, OTs, or SLPs are as travel therapists. All right, the next one, how do you even get started becoming a travel PT? I feel so lost. Uh, yeah, it's tough. Our, we, we were very overwhelmed starting out as well. I remember I started looking into it maybe six months before graduation pretty seriously, and I was really nervous. I read some bad stories online. People had bad experiences. I thought we might have a bad experience and uh, very nervous jumping in, so it, it is difficult. Um, the main thing I would say is to start gathering resources, start reading articles, start watching videos. Um, all the basics have been covered a million times now. So you can get all of that information pretty easily now, which is a big advantage of um, social media because that was, that was not the case six years ago. So you really can get a, a pretty good footing um, and get all the basics down just by Google. I mean, search for that. You can check out our website. There's other websites as well that have all the basics covered, and that'll make you feel a lot more confident. Yeah, I answered this question earlier on um, our Instagram post today. I specifically uh, singled out this question because we get this a lot, like, where do I start? I literally wrote an article two years called The Ultimate Guide to Getting Started as a Travel Therapist to answer this very question. And I linked to that earlier today on our Instagram and on our Facebook. So you can find that um, article on our website at TravelTherapyMentor.com. I linked to it also on our Instagram page. It kind of takes you through step-by-step step where we would recommend that you start, like, do these things, learn these things, and then decide if it's the right thing for you so that you can get started in, down that path. Yep. Um, now, someone asked kind of as a follow-up question of how do I get started and how do I decide? The, uh, this person was a student and they were gonna be a new grad and they said, how do I decide if it's right for me to do travel therapy versus going into a permanent job? Yeah, I mean, I think that involves some soul searching. What do you really want? Um, if it's just that you're scared to do it um, and you don't try it, I think you might regret it. 
Uh, I think it's always better to try things that are adventurous and at least know that you tried it. And if it doesn't work out, you can always fall back on a permanent job. Uh, but I think if you're really considering it, then you should probably try it. Um, the market's not great right now. It's definitely getting better. So yeah, if you're, if you're between the two and you really have an inkling to try travel and uh, you know experience an adventure, I think it's worth a shot. I think you also have to consider what type of person that you are. So um, I hate to keep saying this, but we have an article about this. Um, it's about deciding whether or not travel therapy is right for you as a new grad and whether or not you're the type of person that's gonna be able to jump into this role as a travel therapist right away as a new grad. Um, so I'd highly recommend checking that out. It kind of takes you through some, like Jared said, some soul searching questions, some steps to go through and think, is this the right move for me? Am I the type of person who can jump into a job um, in a new city, in a new place where I might not know anybody and hit the ground running? Or am I somebody who's gonna need a little bit more support? Um, so hopefully by the time you finish up your um, internships toward the end of school and you've kind of considered some different options, you might know better whether travel therapy is the right choice for you or not. And feel free to reach out to us if you have questions about that. Yep, uh, the next section that Whitney has here is new grads. So these are some questions for from students and new grads asking about traveling as a new grad. The first one is, can you do travel therapy straight out of school or should you get some experience? You can do it straight out of school. We did it straight out of school. Um, it really, we, we get this question a ton. We've done presentations where we get this question and the answer is always, it depends on you as a person. It depends on you as a clinician. If you're pretty confident in your skills on your clinicals, then maybe it's right for you. We felt pretty good going straight into travel out of school. We know a lot of other travelers that did. We also know a lot of people that tried to travel and just weren't ready for it. And then they ended up not having a good experience and finding a permanent job to get some more um, mentorship, I would say, or just like more eased into a full-time therapist uh, caseload. Um, you don't, a lot of times you don't get that support as much as a traveler as you might at a, a clinic where they're specifically trying to get you in there to keep you long-term and they'll ease you in a little bit more. That makes sense. I think this also depends on your discipline. So I think the person who asked this was a PT and we started as PTs and we know a ton of other therapists that started as new grad PTs. I feel like it's fairly, uh, a little bit easier for PT than some other disciplines to get into travel therapy right away. But it also depends on your school and how many internships you had and how strong you felt during your internships. I would say OT is relatively similar. I think it's fairly easy to get into um, travel therapy as a new grad OT. However, it's a little bit different for SLPs because SLPs, you have to do your clinical fellowship year. Um, and we've talked a little bit in the past about how it's different for um, SLPs during their clinical fellowship year. You can do travel therapy during your CF year, um, but it's not always recommended. Some experienced um, SLPs would say they would recommend that you do your nine month CF uh, portion because it's almost like in terms of like for physical therapy school, it's like your third year of school, your third year of almost like an in internship. Um, so some people would recommend that you don't travel during that time, but again, that's kind of up to you. Now, when it comes to PTAs and CODAs, we absolutely do not recommend that you travel as a new grad, unfortunately. The travel therapy market for PTAs and CODAs is just not very good right now. It's extremely competitive and they really expect you to be able to hit the ground running. And in our experience, they really won't accept new grad PTAs and CODAs. So for, if you're a PTA or a CODA new grad, the answer is no. If, the, if you're a PT, OT, or SLP, the answer is maybe, as far as starting right out of school. Yeah, you nailed that, sounds good. Thanks, Jared, appreciate that. All right. Um, so that leads into our next question. How long are you considered a new grad? One year, two years, what? Um, I would say, we haven't talked about this, but I would say probably two contracts. I would say two to four contracts. 
I would still consider, I still considered myself a new grad back then. Um, but yeah, I would say after one year, I wouldn't really consider myself a new grad anymore. It depends on who you ask and it depends on your personal situation. So if we're talking about like, you're somebody who went into a permanent job and got some experience before becoming a travel therapist, I don't know, six months, a year, two years, um, for the PTAs and CODAs, a lot of jobs are looking for you to have one, if not two full years of experience before ever taking a travel PTA or CODA job. Whereas, like I said, um, PTs, OTs, and SLPs can get into a travel therapy job right away, but they might still consider you a new grad for that first like six months to a year. But then if you start as a travel therapist, after you get your first or second contract under your belt, they'll usually not really consider you a new grad anymore after your second travel therapy contract. Yeah, we're getting some questions and comments on here. We'll go through those at the end. We'll try to get through all the ones we have written from uh, from prior first and then we'll go back through yeah. those so thank you guys that are um tuning in live and asking questions feel free to type them in the comments we'd love to hear them um and also if you're getting any value out of this video if you're learning anything we'd love if you would hit the thumbs up button all right so next question about new grads um do home health employers specifically usually want the therapist to have experience or would they take a new grad yeah they usually want you to have experience uh at least some kind of experience in home health or uh, just experience as a therapist in general because you're on your own. You can't really ask questions like you can in a outpatient clinic or a skilled nursing, but that is not always the case. I would say maybe 80% or so, they want you to have some, some experience, but some are fairly desperate and they might take a new grad and be willing to try to train the new grad some if they have some other PTs or OTs or whatever your discipline is there that you can kind of shadow for a little bit and get some experience um, just to make sure that you're, you're okay there. So it really depends on the, the job, the specific job, but um, most want you to have experience. I would say home health is one of the hardest settings to get into along with acute care as a new grad who doesn't have any experience. Um, but a lot of times we'll see like these more rural contracts. Um, sometimes rural contracts, especially in the middle of the country, if they don't have a lot of other options, they might be willing to train you in home health. Either if you're a clinician who has experience in a different setting other than home health, or if you're a new grad who has no experience um, on your own. So yeah. it just depends on the job, but I would say the majority of home health jobs are hard to get into without experience. Yeah, it might be crazy for some of you guys that are uh, in bigger cities and stuff, but some of these rural areas are really, really desperate for PTs, OTs, SLPs. Um, when I was a new grad, we worked in a pretty rural area on a contract, and there was a PRN home health job there where they had, uh, I think they only had one PT for a huge area. And they begged me to work PRN for them um, as a home health therapist. And I had zero experience. And they were like, we'll help you. We'll do anything we can to, to get you in here and have me do an evals. Um, so there are situations where companies are very desperate to get you in and, and they don't care if you're a new grad. All right. So moving on from new grad questions, uh, the next set of questions are about licensing, getting licensed in different states. So one person wanted to know, how does the licensing work? If I already have a license for another state, but I moved to a new state, can I work in that state where I'm now living? Um, and so the answer to this would be, you need to always get a, a license in the state in which you plan to work. So it doesn't matter where you're living or, you know, all the, those sorts of things. You have to have a, a license in any state in which you'd like to have a job. So if you're planning on moving to a new state, you need to get a new state license for that state. The only exception here would be if you are a physical therapist or, or a PTA who's eligible to use the PT Compact. That makes it a little bit easier for you to take your home state license and easily work in another state using the Compact, but you still have to apply for the Compact license, but you might not have to apply for the full state license for that state. But in the majority of cases, you always have to apply for a license in the new state in which you'd like to work. 
Yep. Um, the next question is, what are the best states for licensure uh, in terms of finding jobs? And this depends on this, the uh, discipline. So PT, OT, SLP, CODA, uh, PTA, it varies. It also varies just depending on day by day, month by month, year by year. There's really no good blanket answer for this. We get this question all the time because we usually recommend that you go ahead and start getting one or two or three, well, definitely one, but if not two or three different state licenses before you start travel therapy, which seems crazy to people because they're like, well, why don't I get the job first and then get the license? But unfortunately, quite often you have to already have the license in hand or they won't accept you for the job. So then you get this game of, well, how do I know which states to apply for licensure in? And it changes all the time because maybe, you know, this hospital has needed a um, therapist back to back to back, but then suddenly they hire somebody and they don't ever need anybody again. So maybe that state, the, the jobs start to die down in that state and now this state needs more people. So it's hard to say, but I did ask around a little bit um, to some different recruiters and different therapists of different disciplines and we came up with a brief list of what would be some general states where they typically see um, a good number of jobs for each discipline, but it really varies. And for that reason, I highly recommend that you work closely with two to three different recruiters at the time of your job search. Yeah. So if you're searching for a job, you need to be talking to your recruiters, hey, what states have you been seeing lately that tend to have a lot of jobs for my, um, my discipline? For the most part though, no matter what your discipline is, you can't really go wrong getting a California license. That's our pretty much our uh, advice for people when they ask this. If you only have one option, pick California. California has a ton of jobs. They're always going to have a ton of jobs for every discipline. So when yeah, in it's doubt, a huge state, California. So, yeah. um, for PT, another state that we tend to see besides California is Massachusetts. Tends to have a lot of PT jobs. We took two jobs, um, two outpatient jobs right together in Massachusetts before. There were a plethora of jobs to choose from and there tend to be a, a good amount of jobs in Massachusetts. Some other states that sometimes are good for PT, just depending, would be Georgia, South Carolina, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, Virginia, and a variety of others, but it just kind of depends on timing. Yep. Um, for OT, California, like we said, Washington, Texas, South Carolina, Ohio, Indiana, Iowa, Illinois, Virginia. And those are some of the ones that have been kind of trending the last several months. Again, that might not be the same this year to next year, but those are just some of the ones that um, we had heard that were pretty good. Um, for SLP, California, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Alaska, um, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Tennessee, Ohio, South Carolina, Vermont. That list is huge because it's a big list. SLPs Cal are in high yeah. demand. Yeah, there's jobs everywhere for SLPs. There's jobs everywhere for SLPs. So for SLPs, you can pretty much take your pick of any state. We typically don't recommend these like smaller states. I'll hear from some people that are from New England, say New Jersey, Delaware. Well, Delaware's not really New England, but um, some of these smaller states up north, and it's like there's not usually a lot of jobs there. So those aren't yeah. necessarily your best bets. Some other ones that are not your best bets are... Utah, Colorado, Florida, Hawaii, and and those are usually uh, desirable states to go to, so it's harder to find jobs in those places. We get a lot of people asking about Colorado and Florida specifically, um, and obviously Hawaii as well. Uh, and usually, there's not a lot of jobs in those places. So if you were, if you really want to go there, you can always try, but it's going to be harder to find jobs. Yeah, so you're not going to get your best bang for your buck um, applying for a Utah or Colorado or Florida license. Um, but if you really, it's your absolute dream to go to one of those places, go ahead and get the license, but just realize you might have to hang on to it for a while before you ever find a job there. Yep. 
All right, so the next question is about the job market. Um, how is the job market right now during COVID? We have made several videos on this. We made one, uh, an update in November. We'll probably do an update for December. Um, it's getting better. Uh, it's probably still down 50 to 60% from its peak last year. Uh, probably last year, September, August, September was a really great time. It's down a significant amount still, but compared to March to July, it is way, way better. So there are jobs available now. There's, we've gotten a lot of people placed recently, so it's getting there. Um, but it'll probably be still six, seven, eight months before we're fully recovered. I would say, you know, a vaccine is going to be a great thing. Once people are able to get out and about more, it'll be a lot better. If you want to know more about that, go back and watch our November update for the travel therapy job market. All right, so the next several questions were sort of about like logistical type things um, when talking about travel therapy. So one question we got is, are you able to request time off during a travel therapy contract? For example, if you know that there's a wedding that you want to attend. You can always request time off. Um, there's just the possibility that the facility is not able to accommodate that time off. Say you interview for your job and you tell them you need days off, but they already have another therapist there that needs those days off. They just might not be able to take you for the job. So. You can always ask, um, and it's just an additional reason why you might not get the job, though. It's always best to ask for these things up front. If you know in advance that you're going to need some days off for something like a wedding or a trip or something like that, always, always, always ask when you're signing your contract and get it written into your contract. However, if something comes up during your contract, like you're sick or there's a death in the family, obviously you didn't know about those things in advance. You couldn't get that time off written into your contract. And in that situation, you just will have to say, I'm sorry, I can't be here these days. And then you will see how it goes and just have to deal with the repercussions of whether they can accommodate that or not, or whether they would have to cancel your contract or whatever it might be. Um, same thing for doctor's appointments. Um, usually you can work it in if you have to request off for a doctor's appointment during, but just try to work with your manager to see if there's any way you can make up time if you have to miss days for that. But if it's something you know about in advance, like a wedding, always, always, always ask ahead of time. Um, somebody else wanted to know in terms of logistics of being a travel therapist, can you just pick one state or one location in which you would like to travel or do you truly have to travel all over the country to be a travel therapist? Depends on the state or the location that you want to be in. Um, if you say want to be uh, a certain area of California that has a lot of travel jobs, then yeah, maybe you could just stay in that area. Um, with the caveat being that you can't be in the same metro area specifically, um, which is usually a pretty small defined area for more than a year out of a two year period. So, but if it was like say a 200 mile radius that you wanted to stay in and it was an area that had a lot of jobs, then yeah, you can do that. Um, but if you want to go to say Utah and just travel around Utah, it's not going to happen. There's, there's not many travel jobs there. So it really depends on the state or area that you want to be in. Um, it can work or it could be impossible. Yeah, we find some people that want to be what are called local travelers where they just want to say travel only in the Chicago metro area or the DC area. It's possible, but it's just a little more challenging to do that. And if you do that and you live at home and travel within a commutable distance from home, you would be considered what's called a local traveler and you wouldn't get those tax-free housing and meal stipends the way that a regular traveler would because you're living at home and commuting. However, if you would say pick like an entire region, like you're willing to travel anywhere in New England, um, that opens up, you know, three, four, five states and you're, you just want to be able to drive at least home on the weekends within two, three hours. Well, then that could open up a ton of options. And then, yes, you could very easily do that. Yep. 
All right. Um, the next question is, do you recommend sharing a vehicle if you're traveling as a pair and if you would be traveling far between contracts? No, I would always have two cars as a pair. Um, there might be a situation where you could make it work if you're in the same clinic or if you're you know, able to find a clinic on the way to another one, but it's just going to limit you so much with your options. It's not worth it. So I, would, I don't think there's almost any travelers, travel pairs that make it work with one, one car. If you're both travel healthcare workers, if, the, if your partner or your spouse is only traveling with you and they say work online and they're going to be staying at home at your apartment or your camper or wherever, whatever, then yes, maybe you could get by with one car. But if you both need to be able to drive to work, you're going to probably need two cars. Yeah. Now, in terms of getting there across the country, some people don't like to drive both cars across the country. So some people will drive one and tow the other or they'll ship a car. So there are some options to look in there but for us since we've always had two jobs we always needed two cars yeah we've never done the shipping a car we've never towed a car we just drive separately you know together but separately um and it's but the furthest fun. we've ever gone was like 14 hours so it wasn't um yeah not across the country we didn't go across the whole country so for us we never had to ship a car Okay, um, along the same lines in terms of logistics of traveling as a pair, is it more challenging to find travel placements as a, tra as a couple? Yes. Is that <laughs> another question? Yes. Um, yeah, it's definitely harder. Um, trying to find two in the same area is always going to be more difficult, especially when it's a challenging job market. Really from March until probably August, there was very, very few pairs that were finding jobs together because there just weren't that many jobs in general, much less two together that were willing to take, you know, a couple that needed to start around the same time. So yeah, any kind of challenging job market is going to make it way harder. Um, and then the, so there's, there's a follow-up follow question to that was, do you have any tips for a travel couple that are trying to find two jobs in the same geographic area? The biggest tip is to look at states that have a lot of jobs. So that question earlier about what states have the most jobs, you can kind of use that as a guideline. Get licensed in those states because you know there's going to be more jobs there. If there's more jobs in a state, then it's more likely there'll be two jobs near each other. And that's exactly what we did for our first three years when we were trying to work as much as possible back-to-back -back contracts, we were um, we were always looking where are the most jobs, where are the most outpatient jobs, get licensed in those states so that we can hopefully, when we need to, find two outpatient jobs that are close together. And that, that really is the most important thing. The other thing is be flexible in location um, and setting. So if you can work in multiple different settings, uh, then you have a much better likelihood of finding two jobs in a, uh, a a drivable distance to each other. Um, oh, I just, I lost my train of thought. So in terms of finding jobs together, oh yeah, so Jared said that um, this year or this past year it had been really difficult to find tra travel jobs together as a pair. So in the past, we didn't really ever have a lot of trouble because we really were strategic in our planning. Um, the people who were having trouble this year trying to find two jobs in the same area um, what they ended up doing and a strategy that you can use is if you're having trouble finding two together is try to just at least book one, one solid contract. Hopefully it's maybe where you want to be or it's a win in some way. It's high paying or whatever it is. Pick one really good one and then have the other person just look for PRN in the area or just have um, a recruiter try to call around specifically for you that in you in that area for you in that area to try to dig up a second contract because it's, it's just hard right now with the job market not being so good. It's not always gonna be that there's gonna be two beautiful, perfect jobs sitting open for the two of you. Um, but in the past, it really wasn't that difficult for us. 
but that's because we strategized a lot. Yeah. One other person asked a question, is there something that you wish you knew when you were starting out as a travel pair? And I really tried to rack my brain of like a, what's something that we didn't know that we wish we knew and I don't want to sound um, boastful but Jared did so much research when we were still in school we really had our strategy down and I don't think there's anything that we really would have done well, different as far as traveling as a pair uh, one thing I can think of is uh, kind of goes along with this question um, when I when we started out traveling I kind of thought that we would be able to go to a lot of cool areas uh, as a pair we wouldn't have as much trouble finding um, jobs in basically states we wanted to go to. So I had this idea in my head that we would go to like Maine and Florida and, and all these places. Um, so I really didn't know as much about the job market back then. Um, so that was one thing I probably wish I had known is we were more restricted in what states we could go to as a pair, especially a pair looking for outpatient than uh, I thought originally. Yeah, I guess retrospectively looking back, maybe we didn't know that in the beginning. Yep. Um, so that's something good for you to be aware of if you're going to be a travel couple is that you may not always be able to go to the most desirable locations trying to find two jobs. It's going to limit you a little bit more, but it never really limited us that much because, you know, we wanted to go to Maine, but instead we went to Massachusetts and we drove to Maine on the weekend. Um, yeah, we made the most of it. You know, so we made the most of it, but you just might need to take that into consideration. Okay. So, um, the next question is about insurance. Um, how do you manage health insurance as a travel therapist? So, what we do, um, if we are on contract, we take health insurance through the travel company. I think that is probably the easiest and the cheapest way for most people. Uh, even though it is a hassle if you change companies uh, to have to switch your insurance, I think it's still the easiest and the cheapest. When we're not on contract, we go through the Affordable Care Act plan uh, the plans there to get health insurance that way. So when we're on contract through the travel company, when we're off contract, we go through the marketplace. Um, there's other things you can do. You can go through like third parties and stuff, but you run into issues with if you stay on like an ACA plan, Affordable Care Act plan or uh, marketplace plan, and you're changing states, sometimes you don't have coverage in other states. The same thing can happen if you go through a third party. They might not cover you in all states. So I think it's easiest to go through the travel company when you're on assignment. So there's actually a follow-up question about that, about switching states. Um, do you have to switch insurance when you're working in a new state because your insurance is state dependent? It depends on your insurance. It depends on how you got the insurance. If you're going through a marketplace plan, you might have to. Um, but if you're going through the travel company, then you never would. Their, their plans will cover you whatever state you're in. Yeah, so you want to just make sure that any insurance plan you're, you're signing up for, ask that question. Ask where you're going to be covered because there are certain um, plans that are state dependent and you might only be covered for providers within your home state and that's not going to help you if that's the insurance you're planning to keep as a travel therapist. So be sure to ask that question. Yeah. Okay, um, here's a question which is a little bit more advanced in terms of travel therapists that are currently on contract um, or looking to make a little bit more money. Is it difficult for you to be able to find side hustles or a PRN job while you're on a travel therapy contract. For example, this person wanted to know about finding like home health um, on the weekends, PRN. Is that a challenging thing to do because you're moving around all the time? Yes, it's challenging. Um, and also, I wouldn't recommend it for a lot of people. I know that I, as a new grad, wanted to work as much as possible. I would have worked 80 hours a week my first two years. I was just so dead set on working and saving and... Uh, everything related to getting into the best financial position as possible. But looking back on that, that would have been a mistake. Uh, I did work 
quite a bit of overtime. I did work some PRN, and if I could go back, I think I would have not done that and just enjoyed each area we went to more. Um, spent more time doing things on the weekends, spent more time exploring in the evenings, um, working on health and fitness, those kind of things. There's so much more than you know just making as much as possible, even though I 100% understand that and I was uh, the exact same person uh, as a new grad. But yes, it is hard to find PRN jobs. If you really wanna do that, you can, um, but some PRN companies or PRN facilities that you might work PRN at are not gonna wanna hire you knowing that you're only there temporarily. And I would not be comfortable not telling them that you're only there for a, a short period of time. So I did find one PRN job, but it just kind of fell into my lap. And uh, from from that point on, it was it was tough to find. It really just depends. Um, if any of you guys saw the article that we put out last week, um, we shared a guest post by one of our friends who um, is within his first year of being a travel PT. And he has a really similar mindset to how Jared did when we first started traveling, where he really wanted to hustle and work hard and get a, pick up a second job pick up more hours to make more money. Um, and kind of the same way with Jared. Jared was able to get a PRN job because of um, coworkers at his travel job at a hospital. They worked PRN at a skilled nursing facility right across the street. It was a rural area. They needed a lot of help at all of the facilities in the area. So that's when Jared says it just fell in his lap. It was because his coworkers were already doing PRN across the street. And our friend who we published the article about hustling and picking up home health, same thing for him. A coworker said, hey, I do home health PRN for this company, would you be interested in also doing home health for this company PRN? So it depends on your situation. There might be circumstances in which you're able to get connections through the people that you're working with or somebody you meet in the area, um, but it's not always gonna work out, but it's definitely something to look into. There are places that would be willing to hire you short term. You just have to ask and you have to look look for it, but you won't find it all the time. Yeah, if you guys haven't read that article yet, check it out. It's uh, the most recent article on Travel Therapy Mentor. And uh, he worked a travel contract, really hustled, did a bunch of PRN home health, and made a lot of money in in a six period time or six month period. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, so it can definitely be done. Um, you just have to look around for it, and sometimes it'll work out, and sometimes it won't. Mm -hmm. um, but just take into account what kind of person you are. Like Jared said, if that's really something that you know you're you are willing to make that sacrifice to hustle and make a lot of money in a short period of time, or whether you want to keep your weekends to yourself and enjoy your contract and not be working all the time so you don't get burnt out. Yeah, you already make a lot as a traveler. I would, um, I think going back, looking at it from a, uh, a more wise perspective, I think I would have so uh, approached things differently and, and uh, not been so focused on earning and working as much as possible. All right, the next question is about taxes. Uh, does traveling make taxes more confusing and more complicated? Uh, yeah, it does make it more difficult. Um, a little bit more confusing, but it's not as bad as you think it would be. Uh, the big reason for that is the standard deduction now is $12,400. So there are very few people that are itemizing their tax returns right now. So if you're just taking the standard deduction, the only difference really, and uh, that should be the majority of you guys, the only difference really for a traveler is um, you have to file in multiple states. So, you know, it. Uh, assuming that you work in multiple states. So if you work in three different states, you're gonna to have to file a state tax return for each of those states. And you just have to figure out how that works with filing as a resident in your home state, filing as a non-resident in the other states. Um, so that takes a little bit of time, but besides that, there's not that much difference. So. I can vouch that it's actually not that complicated. I had never filed taxes before because we started traveling as new grads. And so I'd never really filed taxes because I'd never really had a, a significant job um, where I needed to file taxes. So, 
we started filing taxes. Um, I started filing taxes for the very first time as a new grad PT, as a traveler. And Jared helped me with it. We um, did some research on how to use an online tax software website. So we just do it on a website called Travel um, or Tax Act. You could use TurboTax or any of them. Um, really, the only difference is if you work for multiple companies. Um, so if you change contracts between different travel therapy companies, they'll each send you a W-2. So you're going to be a regular W-2 employee, just like if you worked at a normal clinic or normal hospital, they'll just send you a W-2. If you work for only one travel company in one state, you'll just get one W-2 and it'll only have one state on it. If you work for one travel company in two to three states, you'll get one W-2 and it'll have the different states on there. And you just go through the prompts in the software and just fill in the different states. Um, if you have two W-2s in a couple different states, again, just fill in all the blanks for what it has on the sheet. If that sounds too complicated to you, if you don't want to deal with it, you can just collect all your tax forms and take it to a tax preparer. It's really not that bad, um, to be honest. Yeah, I would say time-wise, the first year maybe took uh, another three or four hours over what stop filing my regular tax return would have taken. Um, and, but that was, that had to do with a bunch of the research that I did. And then now maybe another 30, 30 minutes to an hour, uh, additional to what regular taxes would take. So it's not that much harder. Yeah. All right. The next question was about housing. Um, this is an interesting one. So this is from a current traveler who's looking into housing for contracts right now. And they wanted to know, do you normally pay the first month's rent or a deposit when you're signing up to like stay at an Airbnb, for example? They were wondering because they're worried about getting their contract canceled due to COVID. Yeah, um, that's a valid concern. I would do everything possible. We've never gone through Airbnb, um, but I would do everything possible to try to make it a month to month situation and not have to put down a big deposit in case that happens because it does happen. Cancellations, uh, there are probably situations where you're not going to be able to do that and you just have to risk it. But if at all possible, try to not have to do that. Yeah, so we've only ever done, um, we've stayed at campgrounds, which were always month to month, or we've rented on Craigslist, um, which was usually month to month as well. I would, if you're signing up for any kind of rental agreement right now with the concerns with COVID, try to talk to whomever the landlord is and just let them know your situation. Hopefully they'll be compassionate and understanding of your situation. Let them know that you plan to be there for the length of your contract, whether that's three months or six months. But sometimes there are certain cases where you could get canceled and you might have to leave early and hopefully they're understanding and they'll try to give you as much money back of the, the rent as possible. So hopefully at worst, you would only be out one month's rent, but not more than one month's rent. Um, and hopefully they would be understanding with the deposit. I know in terms of traveling, we had to cancel a lot of our Airbnb bookings for a trip to South America uh, this year. Those were all one week or less. And Airbnb was really good about refunding us for all of those um, via the platform. However, I don't know about longer term stays, how the refunds have been with that. Or if it's still going on now, it's yeah. been eight months or something. Yeah, so whenever possible, just try to um, talk with the landlord, talk with the person who's renting and explain your situation so that hopefully you won't be on the hook for um, a lot of money if your contract were to get canceled. All right, next is talking about contract extensions. Um, the question is when extending contracts, do you try to negotiate a bonus or a raise? Yes. Uh, we've written articles, made videos about this in the past, but we always try to get, I would say somewhere between one and $3 an hour extra. Um, and normally that is in the form. The next question is how do you get that money? Normally that is in the form of, uh, additional hourly pay. So say we were making 
$25 an hour, we would try to get an extra two or $3 an hour. Um, and, but, but sometimes it could be in the form of a bonus. So maybe if it's a 13 week extension, maybe that is a, how many hours are in 13 weeks? Uh, Mass that was strong suit, Jared. Yeah, that's true. 520 or something like that. So maybe like a thousand dollar bonus or something like that. Um, and almost always that's going to be taxable. Um, for an extension, you're not going to be usually changing anything to do with stipends or anything like that because the area that you're staying in is not changing. So it's either going to be an addition to your taxable pay or a bonus uh, of some sort. Yeah, so unfortunately, you're probably going to get taxed on that money. Um, we have to understand where the additional money is coming from, too, when you're getting an extension. Um, they're not usually just giving you a raise to give you a raise. Usually, the travel therapy company is giving you additional money because in the beginning of the contract, they had to take out some money to pay for things like your credentialing and your license, licensing and all that sort of thing. Um, so usually you can kind of account for, like say in the beginning, they gave you a bonus um, or a reimbursement for your license. Well, now they just have that extra money lingering around on the second go round of your contract, but they don't have to pay you for another license. So hopefully they can give you a bonus or some kind of reimbursement in the same amount of those bonuses, reimbursements, credentialing costs, et cetera, at the beginning. Yeah. Give that to you on the extension. Yeah, so that extension, that bonus, that extra money all has to do with upfront costs that the company had to pay out on your behalf to get you in that contract. So background check, drug test, uh, licensing, travel to the assignment, those kind of things that usually will add up to somewhere between $500 and $1,000. And that's why we say somewhere between $1 and $3 an hour is usually pretty reasonable, depending on how much they had to pay out upfront um, to get you in that job. Mm -hmm. Rarely would they be going back to the actual facility and asking for an increase in the actual bill rate. Um, if they are and they did, that's wonderful, but usually it's from those reimbursements and things. Um, ask them if there's any room in the um, non-taxable pay in the stipend. If they didn't max out your stipends before, yes, have them go and max out your stipends to the allowable stipend amount if there's room there anymore untaxed pay you can get would be wonderful, but most of the time they've probably already maxed out your your untaxable um, stipend money, so probably they'll have to add it onto the hourly or as a bonus. Or even if they haven't maxed it out, some companies are very careful about how they allocate funds because you know there's situations where you're not moving, you're not changing your cost of living, so if the company suddenly gives you more money for housing and, and food and things like that, if they were ever audited, maybe the auditor would say, why Why did you give them more money? This doesn't make sense. So it's usually going to be taxed. That's a good point. One other thing I will point out, um, we had a really good recruiter um, for a while who was very um, strategic in how she would try to give us money for our contracts. And she would always say, are there any other things that I can reimburse you for? Because a reimbursement won't be taxed like a bonus. So say in the beginning they reimbursed you for a license, but now maybe you could get reimbursed for something like um, a CEU course that you want to complete yeah. or that you have completed or something like, you know, we use MedBridge for our CEUs, uh, MedBridgeEducation.com. We pay $200 every year um, using our discount code, and you can too, um, to get our membership. So if we will have already like just renewed our membership, paid our $200 for that year, they could maybe reimburse us for that $200, and then that would be tax-free, which would be awesome. So think strategically about some things like that. Um, promo code real quick, quick ad we'll throw in here. If you do want to ever sign up for MedBridge using our promo code, it's Fifth Wheel PT, like our blog, Fifth Wheel PT. Anyway, but... All one word. <laughs> 
all one word. Anyway, but uh, aside from that, some other things that they could maybe reimburse you for would be like uniforms or scrubs. So if you had to buy some new scrubs or work clothes or things like that, something that you have a physical receipt for, if you have a receipt for it, they can reimburse you for it tax-free. Yeah. So think outside the box when it comes to those contract extensions on some way that they could maybe give you additional money. Yep. Okay. Um, I know this video is getting long, but we do have some more questions to go through. Um, a handful of questions that we got before. But again, if you're watching and you want to drop more questions in the comments, we will go through them all. All right, so the next question is um, specific about certain settings. So, uh, one therapist wanted to know if we could share any insights for school-based contracts. For example, caseload and things like that. So we have never worked in schools before. We don't have any um, experience with school contracts, but I did reach out to a friend who does work in school contracts to ask her a couple questions about this. And from what we gathered, it can vary highly just like any other setting. So there's a lot of really important questions that you would need to ask during your interview with the facility. Some things you might want to know are how many schools would you be covering within the district? Sometimes you have to go to different schools within the district. Sometimes you might only be at one school. If you're doing a telehealth um, contract for schools, which is very common this year and moving into 2021, that might not be as big of a concern how many schools, except for the exception of having to work with different staff members at different schools. Um, but what you might want to find out is how many kids are going to be on your caseload. We've talked to some therapists who had really super low caseloads. I mean, I'm talking like five to 10 students. We've talked to some therapists that had caseloads up in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Now, if you were doing telehealth in the 40s, 50s, 60s of patients, that wouldn't be as big of a deal. But if you have to drive around to different schools within the district and manage that many children, that would be really tricky. So you want to always ask how many kids are going to be on your caseload. And um, one of our therapist friends who works in schools said she would never accept a contract higher than about 50 at max 60 kids. Um, she also mentioned that you would want to find out um, if you're going to have to do, I think they were called case meetings. Um, let me glance at my note real quick. But you want to find out what additional duties that you have um, in regards to the school. Let me see what she called them real quick. Um, yeah, and I imagine telehealth would be pretty tough right now. I mean, you said you wouldn't wouldn't be a big deal to have 40 or 50 for telehealth, but if you had to schedule all those all those kids, I don't know how you would do that. She so. says, um, you also want to pay attention to if, the, if you are the case manager and for how many kids. Um, for example, she said, if you have to do the case management, it's going to mean a lot more paperwork, which is going to matter in terms of your hours, you know, going over 40 hours or 36 hours. Um, so if you're having to do all this extra paperwork, you're going to end up working off the clock. So you want to find out how many extra duties you have outside of just managing your normal caseload of kiddos. Okay, so those are some things to take into consideration for school contracts. Again, we're not experts here, but if you have questions, um, I can certainly put you in touch with some of our therapist friends that do work in schools that could help you answer some of those questions. Um, another therapist asked, um, do you have any tips or resources for home health? I'm doing my first home health travel therapy contract right now. MedBridge has some really good courses, uh, talking about MedBridge again, but they do have a, some really good courses on home health and Oasis and things like that. Documentation is a big part of home health, so that is a very good resource. If you have no experience there and you're trying to get into that setting, I would say do some continuing ed on home health so that, one, you can tell the, the person that you're interviewing that you you know, you're, have gone out of your way to try to learn about the setting so that they can see that you're, uh, you know, you're invested in it. And two, because that'll be a, a very good 
basically primer for that setting. Absolutely. So again, home health is not our specialty area. We've never done a full-time home health contract. We did work one skilled nursing contract where we went out on some home health visits and kind of got dipped our toes a little bit into home health, but we did not have to do start of cares. So if you have to do start of cares for the first time and you have to do that Oasis documentation, that is definitely the hardest part from what we understand. Um, I know there's a lot of different information and resources out there, but one that we really like that we researched is on MedBridge. They have an entire course talking about the essentials of learning how to do home health. I would absolutely recommend taking that course. If we ever take a home health contract, we are going to take that course yeah, sure. to learn A to Z. These are the things you need to know about home health. Um, again, in talking about contracts with home health, you always want to find out about the caseload, um, the radius in which you're going to have to drive because that can really make a big difference. Um, when we even just did it kind of like part-time, we might see some patients that were five minutes away or Jared got sent to see a patient that was like an hour and a half away. And we stayed on the clock because of the way that contract worked. We just got paid for the entire time we drove there and drove back. But there's a lot of home health contracts where you're only just getting paid for the visit and by the number of units that you're seeing. So really be careful with like the driving radius they're assigning you to because you could end up spending hours and hours and hours driving, putting miles on your car, spending gas money. Um, when the, the contract might seem reasonable otherwise, like the number of patients, but if the radius is too big, that's something to take into consideration. Okay. Um, the next question we got was about um, persons of color or POCs. So this person wanted to know, are there any special considerations for therapists who are um, POCs? Um, for example, they wanted to know, are there certain places where a person of color um, maybe wouldn't want to go? Um, they had concerns about maybe some rural areas if they would experience racism. There are certainly places uh, that we have been, mostly rural areas, where that would probably be an issue. Um, I would say probably that's going to be more the case in the south, uh, maybe Virginia and, and south rural areas. Uh, you might run into that. Um, I would say if you're going to cities, that's probably going to be much less of a concern. But yeah, there are definitely some rural areas where um, I don't think people would would be overtly racist, but uh, I do think that there might be um, some tension or something like that, which is sad to say in, in our in 2020, but that's the truth. Yeah, um, several months ago, we actually did a video about um, discrimination um, and issues of race, gender identity, um, those sorts of things. And I reached out to a lot of different people to have them share their experiences with us so that we could share information with you guys outside of our personal experiences. Um, and we did get that sentiment a lot from persons of color that there are certain areas that unfortunately they just choose not to go because they either have had bad experiences or they would just fear that they would have bad experiences. So yeah. if you want to know more about that, I would highly recommend going back. I think that was sometime in the summer, May or June. Um, we did a video called Discrimination in uh, Tribal Healthcare. And you can hear a lot of the insights that we shared from different um, experiences of different travelers. Something else you could do is if you say you're presented a job in, in an area you're not sure about, you can always look up the demographic information for that city. Um, we would usually do that just to get an idea of the city. So uh, like breakdown of uh, different races and, you know, if it's very homogenous area, then that might be a, a more difficult area to go into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I would also utilize Facebook groups. There's a lot of good Facebook groups for travel therapists where you can reach out to the travel healthcare community and say, hey, um, I have some concerns about this area or I've been presented a contract in this area. 
and type it out and then ask if anybody could share their experience in that area. And specifically, if you're wondering about as a person of color, what was someone's experience? There are a lot of therapists out there that would help you and share their experiences with you. Yep. Um, it's always best to know, at least just, you know, ask other people and get an idea of what you're going to be getting into before you move somewhere and put yourself in an uncomfortable um, or potentially dangerous situation. Okay. Um, a follow-up question that same um, follower asked, what is the fa your favorite place? They asked what our favorite location or state that you've worked in. Uh, we get this question a lot. Um, I think our answer is the same, but I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, my favorite is Western North Carolina. We had an assignment there, a very rural area. Uh, outside of Asheville, like Asheville, everyone thinks of Western North Carolina as Asheville. And that's the big city there. But if you go outside of Asheville, like an hour, it is extremely rural. Um, and Asheville itself is not really a big city by, by any means, but it's the biggest area around there. Um, but anyway, a lot of awesome hiking, um, rivers, beautiful mountains. It, it was a really awesome area. Yeah, I really liked Western North Carolina. I also really liked our contracts on the coast of North Carolina by the beach, probably because we made some really good friends there. Um, one of the best like lasting friendships that we've made. And we actually went back to that area twice for two different contracts. So we've spent a lot of time in North Carolina as travel therapists and we really enjoyed it down there. We actually considered going back to that area a third time uh, this year. We didn't do it, but uh, that was a consideration. <laughs> yeah, we got asked to come back to the same clinic for a third time um, and it, we, we really did consider it. So um, we're actually kind of boring in terms of like our travel therapy assignments. We've actually only ever worked in three states, our home state, Virginia. We worked in North Carolina a ton and we took one job in Massachusetts. So in terms of our travel therapy contracts, we haven't traveled to that many unique places. However, um, we've traveled to 45 of the 50 states for fun, and we've traveled to 30 countries internationally. So if you were to ask us um, not where's our favorite place we've worked, but where's our favorite place we've been, we'd have to give you a list of like a dozen because yeah, there's just so cool many places. cool places. Um, we certainly really enjoyed on our road trip this year. We absolutely loved Montana. Wyoming and Washington were just amazing, gorgeous places. So if you ever have a chance to take a travel contract in one of those states, if you like the outdoors, beautiful, beautiful states. The mountains of Colorado are very hard to beat. Southern Utah is amazing. I know, um, but hard to get jobs in Colorado and Utah. Northern so Arizona. don't tell them to go there. Yeah, Northern you Arizona is cool. There's, uh, there's yeah, a lot if you of can go places. to Northern Arizona and then take weekend trips to Utah and Colorado, highly recommend. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're almost coming up on the end of the questions that we got before the video. Okay, so um, someone wanted to know, how do you handle the stress of starting a new assignment, especially if you're going into a new setting? Um, it's tough. There, there's definitely times where I feel very stressed out for a week or two, depending on the assignment, how quickly you're thrown into a full caseload, if it's a yeah, new setting, new documentation systems, all those things can be really tough. Um, you just kind of have to expect that. The first week or two, it's not going to be easy. Uh, everything's going to be new to you. The patients are going to be new. Coworkers are going to be new. You're going to get a lot of questions. Uh, you're going to have to ask a lot of questions. Um, there's never an, an assignment that the first couple weeks are going to be really easy. Um, so you just kind of have to expect that. It's part of the adventure. Um, by the time you really settle into a place, usually it's almost time to leave. So that's kind of part of being a traveler. Yeah, I mean, it's it really depends on you. Every single person is unique. Um, do what you need to do to de-stress, to take care of yourself. Um, I would say try not to overachieve. So a lot of us, I think, really want to make sure we do everything exactly right, get all of our notes done exactly right. But you have a lot 
to take on when you first get into a new contract. So of course you wanna build rapport with your patients and you wanna do a great job with your documentation and you wanna do the best treatments that have ever been done and you wanna build a rapport with your coworkers, but you kinda of have to just sink or swim the first week, just get the hang of it. You don't have to do the most phenomenal treatments and the most phenomenal notes that first week. Just try to make sure to get the basics done um, do the best you can and just know it'll get a lot better and a lot easier after this first uh, week or two. Yep. Um, the last one. Two more questions. So the, the next one was very similar, but this person specifically wanted to know, how do you overcome your nervousness and your excitement of being a new grad PT if you take your very first job as a new grad uh, therapist in a new place as a traveler? And um, do you feel, how do you avoid feeling really overwhelmed as a new grad? And this is a very valid concern. And I think it goes back to kind of knowing who you are, what kind of person you are, and if you're going to be able to handle that situation. But I'm going to tell you what we did and what I recommend for a lot of new grads. I would recommend taking your first travel job in your home state or really close to where you're from. Yeah. Um, you can take a travel job if, as long as there is a job in your state that's not a commutable distance from home. Take a travel job in somewhere that you're kind of familiar with. You know, a state or a nearby state that you're familiar with. You can drive home on the weekends, so it's not too big of a change, and it's not too big of a commitment. Yeah, I would say that is a very, very good advice. Um, we took our first travel assignment maybe an hour, hour and a half from home. So, you know, we still had some familiarity. We could go back home if we needed to. If we really hated it, we weren't that far from home. So that was kind of like a, uh, we, we looked at it almost like a test drive of travel therapy. I think that's probably a good thing for most people. Um, the other thing is to try to take your first job in the setting that you're most comfortable with so that at least the setting, you're, you know, a little bit familiar there. Everything else is going to be new, but you kind of know what you're doing going into that setting. So if you're a new grad going into a brand new setting and a brand new location, it can be very difficult. But the more familiarity you have with the setting, probably the better. Yeah, I mean, there are some people that just dive in head first and head across the country or head to Alaska or something for their first job. But we've actually known some people that did that and it really went poorly and they were super homesick and their travel yeah. contract was terrible and they ended up not uh, coming out ahead financially at all and they just gave up on travel therapy after that and we really don't want that to be you. Yeah. So if you're nervous about it, I would start safe. I mean, honestly, like Jared said, we took a job an hour away from home. It could have just as well been a permanent job. I mean, it could have just as well been, it was just basically same old Virginia, same old people we kind of know, same old type of thing we had our internships in. It, we were within an hour of home. Um, it was easy in terms of that whole nervousness and getting started thing. We came home several weekends, and it was a really good way to just dip our toe in and make sure that travel therapy, the whole, all the other dynamics were going to be the right move for us before we started branching out and doing contracts further away in different settings we weren't familiar with, etc. Yeah, that builds up our confidence for sure. Okay, so we are coming up on our last question. We just have one more. Um, so if you are watching live or you're watching later, um, well, especially if you're watching live, uh, go ahead and type any more questions that you have in the comments, and we will answer them after we answer our last um, question that we got before. Again, if you've gotten any value out of this video so far, if you have learned anything, we would love if you would hit the thumbs up button. Um, if you have a friend that you know that would benefit from learning from this information, tag them in the comments or share this video 
video with them so they can also learn. Um, we just hope to share this information with those of you that are trying to learn more about travel therapy and decide if it's right for you. And hopefully for those of you that are even beginning your travel therapy career or you're already a travel therapist, hopefully there's been something in this Q&A that you've learned from as well because some of these questions were a little more advanced tonight. Okay, so the last question we got, somebody wanted to know if we could describe a typical week as a travel therapist. Um, they wanted to know, you know, outside of work, are you going out and exploring? Are you traveling places on the weekends? What are you usually doing? Uh, it depended a lot on what contract we were on. Um, we have gone through a lot of different phases with things like diet and health and fitness. And uh, so that, that affects things a lot. If we're doing well, uh, that would involve like during the weekdays, coming home, uh, going to the gym, making dinner, um, you know, cooking healthy things, that kind of stuff, which takes time. Uh, if we're going through one of those bad phases, it would involve watching TV, getting fast food, uh, those kind of things. But on the weekends, we're almost always exploring new places, um, hikes and going to nearby cities, like within a, a few hours drive. We, we went to, especially in the New England area, we went to, I don't know, we probably took 20 weekend trips while we were up there. So we were always going to different places and uh, seeing different stuff. But normally during the week, it's pretty much like a regular week. It's mm -hmm. just the weekends that are different. It highly depends on you, on where your contract is, and what type of person you are. I recently saw um, a comment chain on one of the travel therapy groups where they were like, um, do all of you travel therapists just like hike and go to happy hour and do something on the weekend? Or, or are any of you like me where you just like chill at home and read a book? Yeah. So there's different types of travel therapy. That wasn't me that said that. I'm reading as though it was someone else. Um, I don't really sit home and read books. Uh, Jared can tell you that. But yeah. um, <laughs> So it really depends on who you are and what you want to make of it. But I would say the majority of travel therapists on the weekends, they are making the most of it. They are going out and making like a bucket list at the beginning when they get to their contract. These are the hikes I want to do. These are the museums I want to go to. These are the cities that are nearby that I want to take weekend trips to. These are the national parks I want to see, the landmarks that I want to see. Uh, what am I going to check off in this 13 weeks that I'm here? I would highly recommend making a list like that when you get started because 13 weeks flies by. It really does. And sometimes you're really tired from your travel contract and you just want to Netflix and chill and you just want to find your local, like, favorite um, coffee shop or your local restaurant and just go back to that same restaurant every weekend or go back to that same park every weekend and relax and you will find yourself like doing those things and then next thing you know 13 weeks is over and you're like ah oh, I never got to see that thing or go do that thing I don't think Netflix and chill means what you think well, it means. Well, you know, it doesn't <laughs> but like maybe Netflix and just <laughs> chill on your couch. Um, um <laughs> I just wanted to sound cool and say Netflix and chill. Um. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty much every assignment we ever did, I would research the area first, look within a four or five hour ra uh, radius around that area at the major cities, major hikes, um, rivers, those kind of things. Yeah, so it all depends on you and what you want to do. There are certain people like pre-COVID that would do um, meetups, so like you can use apps um, well, if you're dating and you actually want to Netflix and chill, you could use Tinder and apps like that. But if you're not dating, there's like the meetup app or things like that where you can just see if there's other travelers or other friends in the area that you could get together with. Um, maybe you get together with your coworkers, go to happy hours, go to dinners, um, go do things with people on the weekends. Um, now with COVID, that's a little bit harder. But um, yeah, it just really depends on you and where you're at. And it's totally okay, certain contracts, if you're just overwhelmed and all you want to do is just relax. 
that's okay too. Don't feel yeah. pressured to have to explore a new area, but it's also super cool to be in a new part of the country and explore a new area. Yep, you can make it whatever you want it to be. Yep. All right, so we're gonna go through and answer any other questions that you guys have in the comments. Um, again, if you have any more, please leave them below and we will answer them. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Laura, for laughing with us. Okay, I see a bunch of you joined while we were talking. Thank you guys for joining. Um, Brian wants to know, he says, I'm terrible at geography. How would I learn more about things to do or a travel guide for the state where I plan to be in? Google. Google. I, I Googled so much stuff. Uh, I mean, if you Google just like top things to do in this area of this state or this city or anything like that, you, you'll find dozens of articles and you can make lists that way. Um, you can also ask your coworkers. Yeah, Facebook um, groups, um, just your, your Facebook friends. I mean, almost any area of the country, if you have... Uh, Facebook friends, they've probably, somebody's been to that area, maybe can give you suggestions, things like that. Sometimes your coworkers and sometimes your patients will say like, oh, you're new to this area, we'll have you done, blah, 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 blah. You'll hear that so much. Yeah, that is actually probably the top way we found things to do is uh, patients would be, patients want, they get excited when they, they find out that you're a traveler and you're only in the area temporarily. They want to tell you all of their favorite things to do. And if you have 12 patients in a day, and they all give you recommendations. Very quickly, you have more recommendations than you can handle. Yep. Um, Facebook groups are really helpful for this. Um, we actually know some travel nurses that recently started a new app that's going to be coming out. Um, it's going to be called the MedVenture app. And we're super excited about this app, actually. I think it's going to be such an innovative way for travelers to connect. Um, so right now, there's just kind of like Facebook groups and different forums where you can just like type in there and say, does anybody have any recommendations for this? Or have you ever been here? But this app is going to be a much more streamlined way, I think, to ask those type of questions. So you can go to a discussion section on there and see if anybody has recommendations for a certain area. Um, they'll have reviews of different facilities. You can chat and meet up with other travelers. You can plan events like meetups with other travelers that happen to be in the same area. So keep an eye out for that uh, MedVenture app yep. when it comes out soon. Okay, we'll see if there's any more questions here. Um, Allie was talking about being able to travel locally. She says that I have traveled for the past two years only within Texas. Yeah. Texas is, like I was saying with California, California is a big state. Texas is a big state. Not as many jobs in Texas, but it's so big that if you are not so picky with setting, you, I mean, you could definitely travel just within Texas probably yeah. indefinitely. And not necessarily, like, you may not be able to just travel around Austin or just travel around Dallas, but you could totally travel, just get a Texas license and work all in different places of Texas. I mean, honestly, we've been travel therapists for five years, and we've taken the majority of our jobs only in the state of Virginia and only in the state of North Carolina. 90% of our jobs were within five hours driving of our yeah. home. And I can't tell you how many travelers we know that have only taken travel jobs in California. We yes. know a lot of travelers that do that. We met some travelers in California that like literally said, oh, I forget that there's anything outside of California, that there's yeah. a whole other world, 49 states of travel therapists that go to other places because they just couldn't believe that we had not taken travel jobs in California because they only take travel jobs yeah, in California. That's a lot of people. It is. All right, Nick says, I was a mediocre student and I managed to excel as a travel PT right out of school. Just do it, new grads. Yeah, definitely a lot of people that uh, traveled as new grads, us included, really enjoyed it. Um, for, for a lot of people, I think it's a valid option, but just try to try to gauge your own uh, skills and your own personality to determine if it's right. Yeah, it's not for everybody, um, but I would say that um, a lot of people try to like poo-poo it and like, 
get you to stray away from travel therapy and when the market is better definitely um, right now it's a little bit harder for new grads but overall I think it's doable um, Aaron says Jared and Whitney keep up the great content guys the travel industry is so lucky to have y'all thank you Aaron we really Thanks, Aaron. appreciate that all right let's see if there's any other questions hi Rachel hi Brian all right, let's see if there's any other questions. Um, hi, Abby. Abby's a third year PT student. Hi, Rosa. Thank you for joining us. Okay, let me see if there's any other questions before we wrap up. Yes, we do have some other questions coming in. Okay, Forrest says, Jared, that Whitney, you were definitely cool saying Netflix and chill, but could you be cooler and describe <laughs> it? <laughs> I didn't read that whole sentence before I started boasting about it, Forrest. That was a good one. Uh, whatever. All right, Crystal. <laughs> Crystal says, how typical easy would you say it is to be a traveler with a dog? Good question. Um, there's a lot of travelers that do it. It's more difficult. It's kind of like traveling as a pair, uh, to be honest. It's, whereas traveling as a pair, it's hard to find two jobs in the same location. When you're traveling with a pet, it can be harder to find housing. Um, there's some places that either you can't have a dog or... Um, you, you can't have them at the, the housing locations that are available or they charge you an additional fee, like a pet deposit or something like that. So you can definitely do it. It just makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah, a lot of people travel with dogs, so you shouldn't have too much trouble. It's just, it's already kind of difficult to find short-term housing. So if you can't, it's hard already to find short-term housing for the dates that you need, for the place that you need. It can be a little bit even harder to find short-term housing that allows dogs. So yep. you might just have to pay a little bit more or think outside the box a little bit more when it comes to housing, but that's really the only issue. Other than that, I mean, you would just have to take into account if it's a dog that you feel comfortable leaving at home while you're at work, um, how far away from work are you gonna live? Like, are you gonna be able to go home to your housing situation at lunch to let the dog out, or is the dog okay while you're gone all day? So just things like that that you would wanna take into account, but tons of people travel with dogs. Yep, I think that's all the questions. Um, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate all the questions you guys gave us. We love doing these videos. It's always my favorite uh, to just answer questions like this. Yeah, um, it's so. fun. It's a lot. Um, but any of these questions that you guys asked us, I would say 99% of the questions that were asked tonight, we have addressed in one way or another in full detail on a past video. So if you guys don't know, on our Facebook page, if you go to our Facebook page, Travel Therapy Mentor, go click on videos and you can scroll back through. We've literally been doing two years every single week. I don't think we've missed maybe one or two weeks in the last two years, a video on all the topics you could think of. And then we have most of the topics also in article format on our website at traveltherapymentor.com. So like the questions about taxes, the questions about licensing, the questions about um, getting started, getting started, uh, new grads, insurance, all that stuff. Go to our website at traveltherapymentor.com or go on our Facebook under videos and you will find all, a plethora of just free information out there on all those topics so you can learn in more detail because it's hard in these Q&A topics. We can't cover the yeah. breadth and depth of everything that we normally would, but it is a cool way just to kind of get an overview of some topics. So yep. thanks again for all the questions and we will see you on our video next week. Yep. Take care.